0: Hello and welcome to the E-Frame Introducing Podcast. Join us as we discuss all things framing, as we catch up with a number of notable individuals from the world of business, art and photography. We will discover what motivates these individuals and fuels their passion with regards to both their personal and professional life. Hello and welcome to the E-Frame Introducing Podcast today. It is with great pleasure that we welcome Tim Wallace, esteemed automotive photographer, and we'll begin to know the man behind the lens and hopefully get some top tips from him as we go through. You have been described as one of the 10 most influential photographers in the world. High praise indeed. But what age did you first develop an interest in photography? And was it always cars that interested you?
1: Um, I was thinking about this prior to this interview, actually, because I've been asked this question quite a bit. So when did you start out and everything else? Yeah. And pretty much I always said it was when I was about seven or eight years old. But recently I remembered that when I was four, I actually got my first camera, which was a tiny little like Instamatic type thing. And the reason I got it was because when I was dead little, I used to spend a lot of time with my grandparents. And on my way to my grandparents' house, because I lived in York, uh, just outside York, we used to travel through the city Centre Market. And there was a little guy at a stall on there. He actually still exists to this day. <laughs> Um, and he used to sell little matchbox cars. These little matchbox cars, these toy cars, used to come in like a cardboard box.
0: I remember them, they're really cool. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know, yeah,
1: I had loads of them. Anyway, every time we went through there, we used to pick one up. If I'd been good, we used to pick one up. And I had about, sort of, I probably had about 100 of these things. And I never used to play with them. This is sort of OCD, early stages, I guess. I used to just line them all up on top of their boxes. And then my dad bought me a camera... And I used to take pictures of the cars on top of the boxes. So, <laughs> so I guess that was probably the first instance of actually using the camera and yeah, started to shoot cars in a way because that was what I was collecting. Um, that's amazing starting very young and you're you obviously
0: quite good a lot of the time then if you had that many cars, if you only got them when you were well behaved.
1: I would like to think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was, oh yeah, I was pretty good. I think. Yeah. Pretty good. Um, but from there, really, um, I guess, seriously, I got into it when I was about nine or ten. But it it wasn't really in sort of taking pictures. Um, it, it sort of started for me with developing and printing. Um, I became sort of interested in that because I learned that this was something that you could do yourself. And I was impatient, obviously, and I thought, you know, well, I don't really want to send this stuff off and wait. So um, I taught myself how to develop film. And then from there... Um, I found a a little club and persuaded them, even though I was dead little, that I could go in and use their enlargers and I taught myself to print. And it was really then that it was sort of the magic for me in a way. Um, So it was all black and white. I used to save pocket money up and I used to do extra jobs. And um, because of a forces connection in the family, when I was 10, I moved out to Gibraltar. So I was living in a quarter in Gibraltar and um there was a marina there um and basically i noticed because i used to do a lot of diving and snorkeling when i was there with, with my best mate that uh there was a company there there was a couple of companies there and they could clean the bottom of your boat um and it was about it was quite expensive well this is going back a long time it's, um <laughs> you know obviously example. Pretty... we won't
0: reveal how old you are then if you're going back a long time
1: it's quite <laughs> a long time the world was black and white then it was that far ago um <laughs> And they used to charge about two hundred and fifty pounds four hundred pounds something like that to haul your boat out of the water and clean it, so I thought, right, okay, so I set up a little chalkboard on the marina, and I used to say, you know if you want your boat cleaned i'll do it for forty quid, and you don't have to haul it out and i 'll dive underneath and I 'll clean all the crap off the bottom of your boat basically forty quid. that sounds cool, but maybe a bit dangerous
0: was there was there any danger associated with that, or was it good good fun you know you're young and
1: no, no, it great. was fine, it was fine. Obviously the marina cleared it all and they were happy for me to do it and everything. So so we did it and uh, me and my friend did it and we made stacks, we made stacks of money. It was like crazy, <laughs> you know? Um, and if I liked you, I'd do a great job and if I didn't like you, I'd just sit under your boat for half an hour. Oh um, lovely, living the dream. <laughs> living the dream, yeah. So that enabled me to save up and buy like my first camera and then I was buying film and film was quite expensive then. Uh, And I think I was using HP5 um, and all sorts of other stuff. And I bought my first camera, which is a Ricoh KR10. Um, I liked that and saved up, bought lenses and everything else. And then I got chatting to a guy who worked um, in the Air Force and it was his job to load up the bulk film in the surveillance planes that used to fly around the Straits of Girol shooting all the Russian submarines and stuff like that because they used to come in to the straits and they'd dive down and they'd, they'd turn their engines off and the, the the fluid movement of the sea through the straits of Gibraltar used to suck them through, basically, quietly, unseen and they used to surface just off Gibraltar and the surveillance planes used to take pictures of them so he, he used to bulk load about 250 feet cartridges of, of HP5 and everything and he couldn't print so he made a deal with me and he said, if you teach me to print I'll give you bulk loads of film, as much as you want. So, um, he did. So I used to get these massive tin canisters, with like 250 feet of HP5, in, and then I'd sit literally, in my wardrobe at night, in my bedroom, with the lights off, um, rolling this stuff, and cutting it into cartridges, so I could use it. So, that's
0: gold dust for you especially because that's your passion that must that's better than money
1: (laughs) that was my start yeah it was all great apart from hp5 is horrid (laughs) but it was what i could get so so yeah that was me starting um but my interest when i was young because i i did an interview with a german magazine recently and they they made a comment about something which i'd never really thought about before but when I was very young, I wanted to be an architect. I really, that's what I really wanted to do. I didn't want to be a photographer. I wanted to be an architect. That was, that's what I was interested in. And then when I got to teenage years, um, I was really interested in sculpture and stuff like that. And they made the comment that really, as it became um, and my career progressed and I grew older, I, I pretty much now, they nicknamed me the architect of light um that's a cool name and it's <laughs> a cool i name. yeah i thought that's why i mentioned it because i thought that's actually quite cool i've never heard that before
0: yeah that should be uh that should be a strap line moving forwards to be honest <laughs> i really like I know, it yeah.
1: <laughs> but in a way it, it's quite true because when people say oh, like you must be an absolute car nut or something a real petrol head and yeah i love cars don't get me wrong i know a lot about cars i love cars i love driving everything else but for me, the thing with cars when I shoot cars in all seriousness is they are sculptures. I see them as sculptures. Yeah, I see them as shape. It's like, you know, we're about to step into studio in about eight days' time to shoot the third brochure for McLaren, and McLarens are great to shoot. And it's not like, wow, it's a McLaren; it goes really fast and it's super cool. It's just they're so fascinating as a as a sculptor, the the shape of the car, and everything else. And my sort of USP, I guess in what I do is my lighting. That's what I'm known for. If you speak to agencies and people like that in within the industry, if they say, you know, what's my what's my driving force forward, um, that gets the clients coming to me, it's I'm known for my lighting, especially my detail stuff coming out of the darkness, sort of thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I've I've had an extensive look across all your work and you were very kind to send across some of your files and uh... A lot in the office. We we spent a good couple of hours just being like amazed by the stuff you're creating, and yeah, like you say, the use of lighting is it's absolutely incredible, and it's such a skill. You really do have to have that natural eye for it. I imagine.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm probably the least technical photographer you'll ever meet. If somebody says, "What's the firmware in your Hasselblad?" I've got no idea. Couldn't tell you. I'll update it every now and again. It isn't really the big thing for me, but lighting is. And I taught myself how to light my way. And interestingly, when people say so, you see, I, I light in ways that people, other people don't. And, and some people even say, well, you can't do that. And I don't believe anybody should say to anybody, you can't do something. I shoot a lot in studio, especially in the last few years. I've spent a lot of time in studio. When you shoot in studio, you shoot continuous light. Now, normally what you would do is you would light, you would put the continuous light into the studio walls and then that that light on the wall that shape of light on the wall reflects back into the car that's the way you would normally do it and that's the way I do it probably 80% of the time you would never really point a continuous light directly at the subject that you're lighting in studio although well, that, that's something I've started to do because it gives you a very high contrast crisp light if you can control it because it's a bit of a beast direct if you can control it you can shape things with it even better so i'm all for sort of developing new ways of doing things without sort of sitting on youtube all night watching other people do things because i just think if you do it your own way it's part of your own style so
0: yeah exactly and you are regarded as one of the pioneers of this particular type of photography so you know unless it's you doing the youtube uh talk to people there's not really much you're going to learn from another person you can maybe take inspiration but you're you're leading the way and telling people that actually no you can do it this way and you can use lighting to create this these amazing pieces of you know they're basically pieces of art to me when
1: i look at some of your imagery it's incredible really it's funny you should say that actually because um when i first when I first had the idea to to do this I spoke to about 10-15 guys who work commercially and professionally and said look I want to do this um, and this is what I'm doing at the moment what do you think give me your feedback and pretty much all of them said you're not going to make it you're going to fail and the three main reasons they said that was a you're too old um, and I was like, that's pretty shocking. Um,
0: yeah,
1: that's not, not nice, is it? Uh, B, you don't live in London. And I'm like, mm, I don't really see that as a disadvantage, to be honest with you. <laughs> if yeah, I, if my... I work in London, I charge you 20% more for the actual pain factor of being in London. Um, and the third one was your stuff's too much like art which is just which is uh ironically you've just said exactly the same thing without me prompting you and if i get a new client on board and i say to them why why me why have you come to us i'd say probably a good 30 40 percent of the time they just go well we just love it it's different and it's it's almost like art and you're like "Mm, that's interesting
0: well it is it it really is you've got so many images out there that it's it's like a living picture at times it's i i absolutely adore it and i know my colleagues who have seen it do and obviously you've got a huge presence in the industry and we're not the only people that like it so you're obviously doing something right and companies obviously want to show that these cars are basically works of art and you can bring them to life
1: yeah yeah totally
0: which is uh perfect which it kind of moves me on to uh, my next question to be honest quite nicely which is uh how long have you actually been working in the automotive uh, industry doing the photography and like how did this come about when did you go full time when
1: did you think to yourself now's the time to go out and pursue my dream um so ambient life which is obviously my business i i created that 12 years ago um so that was following redundancy so a quick sort of recap on my career um i i sort of left home very early um and sort of just 15 um and basically um i went to london and um i i i wanted to get into the newspaper business i wanted to be a, a darkroom printer i ended up working in the daily mail group for a for a paper and um i got that because i walked into the editor's office at two o'clock in the afternoon i'd so long to cut a long story short <laughs> the newspaper used to do tours of the premises for people who are interested in how the business worked. So I managed to yeah. get myself one of these tours and um part of it was to go up to the news desk to see a live news desk working during the day. And I was like, right, there's a morning tour and an afternoon tour. Now I know that in sort of the late eighties, that's how long ago this was, um, that a lot of the people who worked in newspapers used to enjoy a liquid lunch at the pub on the corner. So I think, right, okay. And editors are renowned for enjoying their whiskey and everything else and i knew that this editor particularly was so i thought i'll tell myself for the afternoon tour so um we got up there the afternoon tour and basically made a line straight past his pa who tried to grab me ran into his office and said i'm tim um, i'm the best printer you've ever seen and if you don't employ me you're just missing out frankly i love
0: it i love the confidence and i love the resources <laughs> um,
1: absolutely shaking and uh, he just looked at from his desk and he was like cheeky and I can't he's, I'm not going to swear but he was like cheeky <laughs> <bar> steward <person." laughs> and he said right you start on Monday don't let me down and I was like cool brilliant so I started on Monday and I worked I, I worked in the dark rooms there for about two years and then I became the, the dark room manager and I was the youngest manager in the Daily Mail group in the country which was like brilliant and I, I was doing loads of stuff and I was printing and I absolutely loved what I was doing and I even started, there was a lot of like um, agency guys. so if, there's a, if there was like a big event uh, so a big royal event or a big sports event, you'd get people in from AP, PA, all these photographers would shoot and then they'd co- They'd go into the, the main newspaper office in that part of the country and they'd use the facilities there to get their stuff dev and printed and then they'd take it down to what we used to call the wire room where they used to get 10-8s and they used to put them on a drum and they'd scan them, a bit like a facts in a way, but that's how images were transmitted before we had sort of digital and computers. And I used to print a lot of stuff for them and and they liked what I did. So they used to say, can you print my portfolio for me? And I'm like, yes. So I used to work all through the night sometimes earning extra money doing that. And I did that. And then I ended up going out shooting um, as like a second shooter. And my style of work was very different to everybody else's. Um, because one of the things that is probably worth mentioning now is that when people say like whose work do you look at to get inspiration and everything I don't, I'm very careful with this, I don't, I'm very careful about who I look at and what I look at because everything you see influences you and I don't want to be influenced too much by other people, you don't realise you're getting influenced at times so you've got to be careful with that sort of thing. Yeah
0: subconsciously you can absorb other people's work even even if you don't believe you are yeah it can have an impact on the, the stuff that you do i no, get that totally
1: yeah absolutely so um so i was doing this and i was going out and shooting stuff and it was at time when the independent launched and they were using pictures massive they were trying to tell the entire story with just the picture and a small amount of copy and my stuff was sort of to the point and there was a thing that i remember doing and the prime minister was making an announcement about something important. And the world's press were in front of the podium and they'd all got their little marks on the ground. They'd all put their stepladders in place with their names on. So, you know, they all had their positions. And I was a second shooter and I was like 19 years old. There's no place for me. And I thought, sod this, I'm going to do something different. And I went behind the podium and I noticed that the guy had taken his socks and his shoes off because he was that hot and he was that sort of you know sort of nervous basically and he had a bottle he had a bottle of water a little bottle of water tucked away underneath the thing and it was he had a pinstripe pinstripe on and everything and i thought well you know it's the prime minister and everything else so i did a shot and it's just of him in bare feet hidden behind the podium with a bottle of water and the world's press in front of him I did that because I thought that looks good you know and it tells the story
0: it's a fantastic shot um, <laughs> absolutely
1: fantastic and it went massive it went massive all over the place I remember coming back and there was a couple of guys from PA and I'm devin all their films for them and they said you, you shot some film, didn't you and I went yeah I haven't, I haven't done mine yet because I've got to do all yours first and they went well get yours in see what you've got and they were like joking around and everything because we're all good friends and if, you know it might be in focus you never know son and I did it and they were like wow and they actually put it on the wire machine with their stuff and their stuff got ignored and my stuff got used so I then got offered a position by an agency so I was doing stuff through the agency um, and I was out there shooting but also devin stuff for the agency as well so it was a two-edged sword then what happened is we had a little mini-recession and when that happened all the agency work got cut back because a lot of the magazines and newspapers they decided to drag all their staff guys out the pub and say you've got to earn your living now um, times. <laughs> so basically, I left the agency, um, spent a bit of time in the military and stuff like that. And then I went into communications. So I worked for Hutchison Telecom, which then became Orange, which then became EE. Um, I worked for Virgin Media. And it was Virgin where I was actually head of, um, head of the broadband and, and data network for the UK, believe it or not.
0: Um, That's a huge role, especially during that time period when broadband was really becoming the dominant in, in society and culture.
1: Yeah, I had about a hundred and I think I had 108 staff, uh, nine managers. And basically our, our role in networks was to make sure that any faults that happened on the network, we identified them before you knew about them. And then we fixed them, network engineers. So I was in charge of all of that. And I loved it. It was great. A lot of ex-forces people in there so a lot of banter everyone to the point just get it a get it done attitude which is what i like um and that was great but then that was based in the northeast of england and the the company decided to relocate that to um to liverpool i decided i didn't want to move to liverpool everyone was saying to me you, you should do photography you should do photography and i was doing it i was shooting for myself the whole time and and, and keeping my hand in because i enjoyed it and they said, you should go into this, you should do this as a profession, you should start a business. And the problem is that when you've got a role like that, at that level, and you're earning a very, very good salary, it's very hard to just walk away from it and say, I'll it's just... a huge t- gamble
0: for you personally, for your family, for everyone really involved with you. That's an absolutely yeah. huge decision, life-changing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so we got into this position where people are on 90 days and everything. And I had... I think I had about 700,000 in my budget, Um, and basically I thought, right, okay, so let's look after everybody first. So I put loads of the guys on training courses to do like the offshore survival training courses so they could work on the oil rigs and stuff like that, because it was northeast of England, Um, for the power companies doing the helicopter stuff where they go over the power lines, because these are expensive courses, so I put all of my guys on these courses so they could get really good jobs. And when we turned off the lights, um, I'd blown my budget, um, but I just ran away quickly and just, you know, whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Look after yeah, you, the people, that's, that's what exactly. I always say. Um, and I turned off the lights and I thought, right, bugger, I'm, I'm the only person who hasn't got a job here. I've totally forgotten about myself. And I'd tied with the idea, so I sat down for a couple of weeks at home and I thought, right, if I'm going to do this, I need to do it now because i'm going to be 40 years old in a couple of in a couple of years um so i spent about five days at my dining room table which was a very difficult five days and i drafted out the business plan for ambient life how i was going to do it how i was going to progress and where i wanted to get to um scary if i'm honest really scary (laughs)
0: imagine i can only imagine i don't think i could take that kind of chance to be honest it's it's you have to be very driven but everything you've spoken about to this point it it shows that you are a very driven and uh, passionate individual who isn't afraid to go take a chance and
1: is quite what's the word ballsy is that a fair word to go and get what you want which i think um i think i don't know if balls is the right word yeah i get what you're saying i, I think the only the only word i would say but well, the only thing i would say which i i always reiterate when i'm training doing the business stuff is that you've got to believe in yourself yeah and it's it's easier said than done, see, because the thing is that if you don't believe in yourself, you can't really expect anyone else to believe in you. No, exactly. And the thing is, inherently in human nature, we do the things that we want to do. We don't always do the things that we should do. If somebody said to me, you should go to the gym every day, Tim, they're probably right. But if I don't really want to go, I'm not going to go. But if I really get off on going to the gym, I'll be there every day. So you've got to believe in yourself you've got to really want to do it and it is it's hard but i i sat down and did it and i wanted to get to a stage in about the first 2 or 3 years where i was earning the same sort of revenue that i had when i'd left virgin and it took me um it took me about 14 months i think and i hit that stage um and i was like great okay and i just i just kept working on it it's it's difficult i mean i think that probably what people don't realise is that 83% and I know this because I get the statistics when I'm teaching the business side of things there's around about three and a half to four and a half thousand people every year start a business in photography just in the UK Whoa. <laughs> yeah I know um, so a lot of that is like wedding stuff and portraiture and local people and all the rest of it but it varies, the whole the whole broad range of it of all those people, 83% fail and wrap up in the first two years for all sorts of reasons it's not what they expected the phone doesn't automatically ring as soon as they get a vista print card printed yeah um all all sorts of reasons even that in the fact that by year two they're probably going to get their first tax bill and they're like bugger didn't save up for that um you know they haven't reinvested or it's just they're just not doing it or they've failed and they've decided to just go and accept it because one of the big things if if somebody says to me somebody said to me in the states last week what's your two top tips for succeeding in business Um, and basically the first one is that you've got to fail you have to fail when you start a business you have to fail you will fail So it's not going to be something you have to try at. You'll fail. But you can't Mm -hmm. succeed without learning from failure. Yeah, very true. You
0: have to learn from the mistakes. You have to make them mistakes to then learn from them and not make them again. And how you improve and how you go forward from almost a position of adversity says a lot about your character.
1: Yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, if you think, if if the guy who invented the light bulb went, oh, that's failed, I'll not bother, (laughs) um, we'd all be sat in the dark. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. And the other other thing is you've got to be consistent. Consistency is king. You have to be consistent. So you've just, it's difficult. I mean, some days you're buzzing and everything else, and and you're cracking on, you've got shoots that you're excited to do, and you've got clients saying, oh, thanks for sending that stuff through, it's great. And it's brilliant. Other days it's quiet, you know, something's fallen through, logistics have all gone wrong. And you've got to bear in mind that pretty much most guys who are doing this sort of thing like me, you're working on your own and you don't have any support. So if the Mac suddenly blows up, um, your IT support, if that bill doesn't get paid, your accounts, you're the accounts department, you know, you you do everything. So you, you can't just literally do what some people do and just go, oh, it's all going wrong and I'm just going to sit in Starbucks all day on the free Wi-Fi, bitching on Facebook about there's no money in photography. It's all yeah. doom, doom, gloom. You've just got to crack on. You just have to crack on. It's hard, but you've just got to crack on.
0: How, how did you get your name out there? Uh, you, you're obviously now trusted by many notable car brands with a portfolio including icons such as Aston Martin, uh, McLaren and Jaguar Land Rover. But can you pinpoint that breakthrough moment in your career?
1: If I'm honest, no, because there there is no sort of magic route, there's there's nothing that you can sort of just touch on or hit on or you suddenly do work for them and it all explodes. It's it, it doesn't really work like that, and there's several reasons for that. It is a gradual burn. This is I think this is probably going back to what we said just now, why in a way eighty three percent of people will give up. They're not they don't appreciate that it, it's not going to happen overnight. You've got to build it up. Um, So for me personally, I guess it was really... See, I had to get my head around a lot of things when I first started out. I mean, you've got to remember as well that even when I I was getting prepared to start the business, I didn't even know how to do anything in Photoshop. So I opened that up and thought, my God, how the hell am I going to... And I've just taught myself Photoshop. And then I'm in the States last week at an Adobe conference teaching Adobe people Photoshop. And it's like, how bizarre... (laughs) what a life turnaround that is (laughs) i know yeah i know um but it was a case of like when i do the business stuff i always try and give advice on business as if i want to be the person that was stood in front of myself 12 years ago to go you haven't realized this yet and you don't realize this yet but i'm going to tell you because it's going to save you loads of time so the first few years were, were a learning curve for me in in virtually every way about how to hone my craft and, and how to light and how to light in all sorts of different circumstances and, and getting working and how to quote. And it's a bit of a minefield, but it's you've got to do it through experience. It's a bit like, I guess it's a bit like riding a bike. I could give you a, a pile of books on how the bike was made, invented, developed, built, everything, and it could be six foot high, this pile of books, and you could spend two years reading them, but when you get on a bike at the end of it, guess what's going to happen? You're going to fall off. (laughs) My my policy in, in life for everything is not to read the book on anything and just get on the bike. Um which probably drives my wife insane when it comes to putting together ikea wardrobes i'm like oh i don't need the instructions like,
0: we'll yeah fine. just throw them away I think, a, I think that's a typical guy thing anyway to be honest i'm always yeah. like i don't need these instructions
1: just, oh, we just they're tough to the side we don't need this allen key it's fine let's just throw it away um but no in seriousness it's just basically i shot as much as i could so not hand on heart, in all honesty. For the first sort of at least the first eighteen months when I started, I was literally sh- shooting and working eighteen hours a day. And if I didn't have a job to do, I would be out shooting for myself just so I could get the experience and learn. It, it's it's long days, and I used to put weekends in and also, and it's just building up and getting you work out there and getting it everywhere, and then you start picking up. Stuff from like people, I started picking up stuff from like Aston Martin in the early days and all the rest of it, and Jaguar Land Rover doing their heritage stuff for them. And the more you shoot, the better you get. Okay, it's like anything, the more you shoot, the better you get. And then you develop, you start to develop a style, a style starts to come through. And that's great because the two things you need to do really in the early days, because every sinew in your body will strain against you doing this. The first one is you've got to have a unique part of the industry that you're aiming at. So you've got to have a niche. You've got to have, you know, I am a particular type of photographer, whether that's you you photograph furniture, you photograph kids' clothing, you photograph cars, whatever it is. You can't start a business, I don't believe, hand on heart, saying, I'm going to do a bit of everything. Mm.
0: You have to to specialise.
1: You've got to specialise because... You know, if if I said to you, name a famous landscape photographer, you're Adam, Ansel Adams, name a famous portrait photographer, Marco Grob, da 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 Name a famous photographer who's known worldwide for being the best at what he does, doing a bit of everything. It just doesn't exist. And Yeah, yet- the
0: jack the jack of all trades doesn't exist in this
1: uh, industry. No, a- absolutely not. Well <laughs> no, not really. I mean, yes, at a local level, you've got guys who do a bit of everything and that's great. But they're never going to really propel themselves to earning four, or five thousand pounds a day doing a shoot for a major blue chip brand for a campaign or anything. They're going to be doing, you know, um, it's like civilian photography if you like, shooting people's weddings and babies, cheap, and it's just a downward spiral because if you've got to do something and the people that you're doing it for want the volume for as little cost as possible you're in the wrong market in my game. I didn't mm-hmm. want it to get into that market. I wanted to be in a niche market. So, so that's the way that I move forward. Now, one of the ways and one of the only ways that you're going to get there, really, are, apart from your style, is to be consistent. I keep going back to this again. You've got to be consistent. It's massive. It's huge. I don't think people get that. If you've got a niche that you're shooting in, and you're getting good at doing that, and if you've got a definitive style that you're true to, you don't mm-hmm. just try and copy somebody else, and if you can do that consistently, then it gives your client a clear idea, this is what he does for a living, this is the style of work he does, and he does it consistently. It is massively reassuring, and that's when you start to get busy. And that's generally it. There, there's no. That's the general thing. So it's 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 building up those three elements, Getting known in your niche and professing to get good at what you do. Secondly, developing your style. And it'll evolve, obviously, and let it evolve. And the third, consistency. They're the the three key things. If you try and change your style on a month-to-month basis because you've seen, I don't know, xyz people doing i don't know oh color grading look at that fantastic color grading thing i'm going to copy that oh look at that low depth of field i've not done that let's go everything low depth of field and color grade it it's not maybe the style that you aimed at if that's the style you have then follow it through but if you keep drifting around you might think it's great but to a client it looks jittery it's like i don't know where this guy's coming from it's all over the place if I look Yeah, at- and people
0: it- want to work with you because they like your style. If you start changing that, you risk alienating existing business that have grown accustomed to knowing exactly what they get with you. I think that's one of your big strengths, that, like you say, you have this distinctive style that's evolved over years and years of first-hand experience. And if you start to decide, I don't know, you wake up tomorrow, oh, I'm just going to change that a little bit, or maybe I should try this, the client could be within their rights to say, but you've not done that before. We wanted it how... You do it. We want your style. We want what what your images are.
1: <laughs> yeah, you, you have to bear in mind that a client's not going to come to you and go, oh, I love what you do. I love your style. This has been honest. This has been 100% honest because I'm really down to earth and open when it comes to this sort of stuff because there's no point in giving people advice that's that's not on the mark and he's just all fluffy because mm-hmm. that fluffy advice doesn't really help anyone. A client doesn't really give a damn about your pictures. They They really don't. You have to see it from their point of view. They might have a two hundred thousand pound budget to shoot a campaign. You know, they need to know you're going to do you're going to do it. They need to know you're going to give them the results. You yeah. know, so they have a branding, a brand document, brand guidelines for their their company, and maybe the style. Maybe they've come to you because your style is very close to their brand guidelines. And then you've shot in their niche area that they that their business sits in and you do it consistently, then it means that the percentage chance of you carrying this off to the level and the quality that they want is high. Therefore, they will start having a conversation with you. They're not looking at your work and going, oh, look at that, that's brilliant. They're not. All they're seeing is that you're a safe bet because if you turn up on the day or you go in studio for a week and you make a complete hash of it, not only do they need to completely redo it, but that's the budget blown. Somebody's going to get their balls kicked over that <laughs> and they don't want it to be them. Do you know what I mean? So if you, I have, a, I have a, a couple of things I always do. When I work for a client, so I did my first shoot for McLaren last year. So I did the MSO brochure, so McLaren Special Operations brochure for this year. Never worked with McLaren before. They approached me and it was all purely because of my style and my lighting, the way I did that and it fitted into what they wanted to do. Prime example of what I've just said. Did the brochure, shot that, worked hard at it, and it was very, very hard work. And everyone on social media is going, oh, you're so lucky, did you get to drive the car? And you're like, really? Why? I wouldn't even let anyone near the car, never mind drive the car. (laughs) We've got Brian, the poor valetor, he's spending eight hours on an evening, Getting these cars absolutely clean. Why would you think we're driving around Morrison's car park at the end of the day? It's not going to happen. (laughs) You know, reality is not that. But at the end of the shoot, I made sure that they had everything they wanted plus something else. It's what I call knocking it out of the park. And I do that with every client, no matter what level they are. So in the case of McLaren, there was an image that wasn't in the brief, and it was an image. It was a rear shot from the rear of the car. And it's got the doors up and it's completely silhouetted and it looks a bit like an angel. And I just did it because we had the time to do it. I made sure we had the time to do it and I did it. And it was my own idea to do it. And they went really big on that. They weren't expecting it, but they got it. It's just that little bit to knock it out the park. Now, hence, literally three weeks later, can you do um, a brochure for the new high downforce kit? They're straight back on me again. Yep, I can. Right, let's do that. And then a few months ago, right, Super Series campaign, we need that shooting, are you available in June, we want to start doing that, can you do that? They're going to come to me. Now, they may drift away from me in years to come and, and go somewhere else, but as long as I do exactly what they need me to do, and as long as I do it to the level they need to, and try and push it beyond that, and raise the bar, I'm a safe bet. And that is business.
0: You know? that That's truly fascinating fascinating insight to be honest and it's great to hear you very straight talking about it i I totally agree fluffy advice isn't what anybody needs to hear when they're really trying to make it
1: so it's business it's people i don't think people get that it's like when people put a portfolio together again i talked about this in the states last week and people were saying oh you know i've I've put my my 25 best pictures in there and I looked at these, por- I I went over a few portfolios, about six or seven portfolios with people, and I didn't want to rip them apart, but they're in the early stages and they're making the mistake that even I did for the first three or four years, I made the same mistake. They put what they perceive are their best pictures in their portfolio because they think that that makes them look like a really good photographer. And if they look like a really good photographer, they're bound to get the work in. Wrong. They're not seeing it in the right way. The right headspace is are you consistent? do you have a consistent style consistent quality, and are you showing that in your portfolio? not these are my twenty five best pictures I've ever shot you're not selling the images in the portfolio you're not you're not doing that you're not they're not buying those images when when you look at it you're looking at it from a photographer's point of view when they're looking at it they're looking at it from Does this guy have the quality? Does he have the consistency? Is the style consistent? Which areas can he operate in? So if you look at mine, for instance, I can do stuff on location, available light, location, strobe, you know, strobe using flash. I can do it massive amounts of light on location. I can do it bright sunshine. I can do it at night. I do stuff in studio. And across the whole lot, there's a consistency to it, which means that I can operate. Because there are guys like me that work only on location, same as there are guys like me that only work in studio. When you get to that level, I sometimes get asked by... It's like when I first started working for Peugeot, doing their prototypes. They were like, you know, we've seen a lot of your location work, but do you do studio? Yeah, I do. You know? And they were like, oh, that's interesting. It's, It's rare to find somebody who does both. Because when you get to that level you specialise even further. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. But I'm very happy to do both. So your portfolio really needs to show that. And if you've done that well and you're having the right conversation when you're showing the portfolio, you shouldn't really get past page three or four. The portfolio gets closed and you're in. That's it. You're starting to talk because business is basically a very good conversation with the right person. That's it
0: that's yeah, honestly amazing advice um I, I've never really looked at it from that point of uh, the business standpoint that yeah they just want someone reliable who's consistent and like you say you keep coming back to this uh, term consistency and I think that's really good advice for anyone listening who is really trying to make it as a photographer that it's just find your style and be consistent with it don't try and imitate and copy others i'm sure you've got plenty of admirers out there who want to try and take inspiration from your style which is great i mean you're one of the pioneers so yes i mean try take some inspiration but do find your own style i think it's one of the
1: the lessons i'm taking from this call so far i do think it's crucial i mean it's a bit carny but don't try and be the next me be the first you you know yeah absolutely It, it it really matters um yeah
0: really matters so we've kind of touched upon a lot of the uh, kind of questions i had in my mind naturally which is great uh still for me we've we've touched upon the lighting how do you manage to bring a still image to life uh, you inspire countless individuals with that image you manage to capture within the lens is there any advice you can offer there
1: for me really it's all to do with the lighting my lighting is very is very much the the key to my style in a way so you can't get away from lighting i mean obviously as a photographer you want to learn how to use your camera you want to learn how to shoot and everything else and you need to use your camera second nature i i use hasselblads but i also for editorial work i use i use a nikon d5 i was about to say nikon but that's uh, <laughs> I am now back in England, so it's Nikon again.
0: Yeah, you've um, got to get back from uh, aluminium, uh, aluminium. I know, yeah.
1: <laughs> I was talking about aluminium on something the other day, and they were like, aluminium, I'm like, sorry, aluminium. Glazed over, yeah. Aluminum, <laughs> yeah, and it's the hood, and it's the trunk, and you know, whatever, the rim, it's <laughs> not an alloy. And, well, anyway. Elevator, lift, we could yeah, do this yeah. all day. <laughs> exactly, yeah. That's why sometimes uh, I like to use old English words like poppycock and everything, because they look at you like, <laughs> wow, what does that mean? anyway um, so yeah lighting is key once you've learned to use your camera like I say I use Hasselblad Nikon but I I change my settings on both so that they mirror each other so I know that the front wheel and the back wheel do exactly the same thing so I don't even think about it and I will often use my camera without even thinking about it i.e. riding a bike your lighting is what you need to learn and I would suggest that um, you don't need massive amounts of equipment to do that start with one light and the best one to start with is the sun and learn how that works learn how you can position stuff and learn how to shoot directly into the sun and how that has an effect on this and that has an effect on that and do all the things that people say you can't do to find out why I you shouldn't do it or maybe they said that you can't do it because they couldn't get it to work for them but you could get it to work for you and then start getting lights I bought one light, then I bought two. Um, now I've got a massive equipment room full of gear. That's just a, that's not because I'm a gear freak. It's just it's built up over the years from what I need. But learn lighting. Lighting is not something that will come to you in a week, and you can't sit on YouTube and watch how to do it. You've got to do it. It's really important. But if you can light, if you can understand how light works. Then you can make it work for you, and if you can make light work for you, then you can literally shoot anything in any circumstance. You know, I remember That's being, me. I remember being on a shoot, and it was for a super yacht, and it was off uh, Palmer, and we were out at oh, sea. Oh, lovely, <laughs> lovely. Yeah, we were out at sea, um, and it was blazing hot, and everything else, and yeah, you're saying like lovely, lovely, but it was really <laughs> hard work, um, and I wanted to do this shot of this model stood on the centre part of the back of the yacht and I wanted to shoot with the sun coming straight through the mast straight into the camera and I used a ProPhoto twin head so it's one it's one single flash head but it's attached to two batteries so the, the cable splits off into two batteries so that you can you can shoot at twice the power so you, both packs are on full power so that's 2400 watt straight into a flash which is like proper Hiroshima time. You know, you can can feel that go off. In fact, you can even smell it when it goes off. And I've got um, what you call a magnum dish, which is like a reflector dish, which focuses it forward. And I'm bobbing up and down on a tender on the back of the yacht, trying to get to the centre where we've got the sea moving us around, obviously. Mm -hmm. Everything is in complete silhouette because of the sun. And I've got um, a couple of people from Photo and Hasselblad who are with me because they're trying to film a behind-the-scenes thing of me doing what I do. And they're going, this isn't going to work, it's not going to work, you can't do that. And I'm literally using this direct, straight in. And they go, it's, it's going to be too hard, it's not going to work, it's not going to work. The Hasselblad wouldn't even focus, it's like... Vroom, 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 vroom. I can't focus on anything, it's, it, I can't see anything. So I'm I'm focusing manually and everything else. I did three shots... And the middle one, the first one I'm too far to the right, the middle one is great, and the last one I'm too far to the left. But the middle one was spot on, and it looks like beautifully soft light, and pretty much didn't need a massive amount of retouching at all. And the reason it's soft, even though you're going in 2,500 watt direct straight in, you're balancing what's coming straight at you in the opposite direction. So it shouldn't work, but it does work. And that's the thing with lighting. Unless you try it, you're never really going to learn.
0: Sadly, that's the end of part one of the Tim Wallace podcast. However, join us in part two, where we will discover the impact his work has had on the industry, the art behind taking a perfect photo, and details behind his personal life. Do make sure you follow him on social media. His handle on Instagram is timwallace47. And don't forget to visit www.ambientlife.co.uk www.ambientlife.co.uk Find out a little bit more about Tim and view some of his amazing work. For more information, please visit us on www.eframe.co.uk.